Thanks to everybody who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Dan Lane, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Tim Edwards, Ilya Coelia, Roland Robertson, Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show from $1 per episode, go to 361podcast.com slash support. Okay, ready? Well, we're starting right now. Yeah. I was just, all right, wait, wait, wait. I'm just pouring my little, got my Perrier. Mexican juice from Waitrose. Do you have all of your juice imported from Europe? Uh, it's produced in the UK, it says. It's nice that you've managed to travel halfway around the world and still consume the same food and drink. It's the only one they had in the shop. Yeah. Oh, nice Foley. Sparkling water. I do like sparkling, but they don't seem to, it's not a thing over here. I'm sure you're important enough now, you can have somebody blow bubbles into your water, can't you? <laughs> yeah, but they need to do so with quite a lot of force, I think. Ah, uh, Mr. McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ewan McLeod. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ben Smith. This is Season 18, Episode 4, and this week we're talking about Amazon Echo Accessories, COVID-19 apps, and we discuss the world of TikTok. chaps how are you doing rocking hello hello very good thank you how's your respective lockdowns treating you rafe blanford it's feeling quite long because as we record this we're seven weeks in i think in the uk time has no meaning anymore seven weeks wednesday thursday what is it what even is may you know are you wearing pants blanford american pants yeah have you got pants on or shorts american pants yes i am okay fine all right hello it's uh my lockdown's all right thanks very much yeah i've it's fairly pleasant, you know. What's the temperature? Oh, it, it is pretty hot. Let me have a look and see. I think it was 39 Celsius. Uh, yeah, it is. It, I, but it is lovely. 39 Celsius is lovely going out. Uh, 30, 34 at the moment. 35. But hold that up to the camera. I think it might be having an effect on the uh, executive hair. No, well, that, I haven't had that cut and it is really bad. Hetty likes it, but I, I need to get it cut at some point. Priorities. We're all looking a little bit fluffy around the edges. But yes, it's, um, it's good to speak to you. You two are about 95% of my adult human contact uh, week to week. So I'm Happy to help. Happy to help. Oh, I'm sorry, Ben. <laughs> this is not so much podcast recording as therapy session for me. <laughs> but um, let's crack on because we've got a little bit of uh, follow-up and we can chit-chat in between. But um, mm. I just wanted to... Uh, you know those entirely obnoxious people who suddenly, I don't know, stop smoking or do a fitness regime or start eating healthy or something and they just oh here we go oh no you started cycling yeah, yeah. when they start telling you stuff you know yeah right so i promise i'm not going to become one of those but a few weeks ago right, wait for it blanford wait for it blanford yeah mm-hmm. uh, i told you about the 5k couch to 5k app i was using right yes so this is the second update i don't really need but great go on yeah go on i made it to 5k so i'm really really pleased with myself so i did 27 runs over really six weeks from not being able to run for a minute yeah. to being able to run 5k continuously. That is an achievement. That's a very good achievement. And I'm really chuffed and it's great. But for the listeners, what I would say is use the app. It feels like it shouldn't make any difference. Like, oh, well, I can't run 5k now. Why would an app help me? But the little bit of gamification, the objectives that you don't set that are professional sets that Mm. are manageable and make you feel like you're getting incrementally better and also the ability to sort of record how it went and look back Mm. and actually i'm no professional runner now but i've kind of learned a little bit about like i run for 10 minutes and i feel awful this is the point where i would normally give up so like this is going to be a horrible run but i know that in 12 13 and 14 minutes that's when kind of that surge of energy kicks in and I can see on all my runs, that's when my graph goes up and I start to get a bit faster. And because I've learned that about myself by using the really simple analytics, it gives me the motivation to go through that first bit where you don't feel so good. Can you, um, have you got the app? Can you show us the app? Come on, come on. I'm asking him, ladies and gentlemen, just to give him the opportunity to show off a little bit because this 5K is very impressive from nothing. You know, from, really, go on. Show us some stats or something. And was it the Couch to 5K app, the one that we've seen on the App Store? Yeah. There's a lot of Couch to 5K apps. I've got the Fitness 22 one. I'll put a link in the show notes. Come on, oh, wait, wait, wait. I, didn't, I wasn't looking. Can I do that again? 
Right, okay. Oh, look at that. Look, 118 kilometers. Uh, that's fantastic. And the thing is, disappointingly, 5K is the kind of distance you should be doing a couple of times a week, apparently, according to fitnessy type people. But my point was, whether you're running or cycling or something like that, the app really helped. And I'm really glad I used it because previously when I've tried to do something just entirely under my own steam, I've skipped days I shouldn't have done. I've given up when I shouldn't have done. I haven't learned anything about getting better. So really chuffed. And I've downloaded the 10K app Ah. Because the thing is, I did a few days where I was just like, oh, I'll just go out and do the final day. Oh, well, that was a bit disappointing. So like, there's no achievement here anymore. So even though I'm not particularly bothered about running further... Click here to purchase. I've upgraded, yeah. That's really interesting. Really interesting. And isn't this thank you to COVID? Because you would never have done this, man. Never, right? Just in terms of time, right? You wouldn't have got the bug. Yes. I mean, I started before lockdown started because I was on holidays, but it has given me the opportunity. And the nice thing is now, because the app tells me how long I'm going to take to do my exercise, I can plan it. And I also know how long it takes me to recover because you've got your warm down time in the app as well. So I used to not go out and do exercise in the morning in part because I've got a train to catch. Like I can't be, you know, missing the train yes. and being late for work. So I'll talk more about it in a later episode. But if you're thinking of trying it or you're struggling, get an app. I actually don't think it matters which app. I just think something that helps you, you know, kind of record it and pace yourself. Mm. There you go. Yeah, I think these behavior change apps are really interesting. And things like Headspace, which I might talk about that in a future episode, can also help. And it's just that assistive, supportive nudge. So we'll probably come back to that topic. But Ben, I think there's another follow up that we need to do. We did this last time, but iPad Pro keyboard. No, don't, don't (laughs) move on, move on. Especially now we've got the MacBook 13 and Apple have fixed or Mm. retired the butterfly keyboard. What are your feelings Uh, now? Is it still the replacement? Can I just fast forward this? Still love it. Still pick it up in preference to my MacBook Pro for everything except using Microsoft Office. So the Microsoft Office apps on iPadOS are not good enough. And so I have to go back to the Mac. Mm -hmm. Really, really like it. The only thing I don't like is, um, well, My house feels a lot cleaner now because every bloody bit of dust and muck and fingerprint in the entire place sticks to it. (laughs) (laughs) It's got that same grey rubberized kind of case that the other smart keyboards have and it's really fingerprint prone and it really collects the dust and the muck. And sure, it wipes off and it's easy to clean up, but it's a bit of a pain. But I really like it. And actually, it's like I've got a completely new device. And I mean, it's so much actually that I had a few speculative kind of new tablet purchases and sort of toys that I was buying which haven't been delivered yet. Uh, I pre-ordered one of those Remarkable 2 tablets, which was that e-ink kind of um, oh, yeah. note-taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've cancelled them because whilst I might play with them in the future, this is like having a completely new device. And the only thing I'd say in follow-up to the review, like my enthusiastic review, I've got the 12.9-inch one. I've listened to a load of Apple podcasts, and if you're listening to this, you probably have as well, talking about them as well. And it seems that people with the 12.9-inch ones seem to be more keen on them than the 11-inch ones. I think they've done a better job of making it pleasant to use in terms of the keyboard layout and the, well, the, the size, you know, the key size and, and the trackpad size. Well, there we go. Three weeks of review and Ben is still somewhat enamoured of that. And I did make reference to Apple keyboards more <sighs> generally and they, they bought something in for the MacBook Pro 13 and maybe we'll pick that yeah. up in the future. Mm. But I think it changed your purchase behaviour and device behaviour. It's really interesting to hear you can see orders for other gadgets. So yeah, good update. Yeah, love it. Thoroughly recommend it. If you've got the 11-inch, read the reviews more carefully. But if you've got a 12-inch iPad Pro and you're thinking about doing it, I could well imagine just traveling with this alone now. It's that good. And the rest of the iPadOS apps have all updated. So loads of the apps I love, you know, have got really good cursor and mouse support in it. Well, so other follow-ups. Ben, I think you've got an update on GPS blocking for us. Yeah, I sorry, I'm dominating the follow-ups. And and this is this is calling back to the previous season, mm. but I saw it in the week, thought you'd both be really interested. Yeah. We talked about how GPS wasn't trustworthy and reliable, and we did that story about the sort of mysterious situation where ships were being spoofed yes. at the end of last season yes. in, in this Chinese port. Read a really interesting story. I'll link it in the show notes this week. In China a bunch of criminal gangs have been threatening, blackmailing farmers that they will use drones to land infected material in their farms, normally to give their pigs swine fever, I think it is. Okay. 
So, you know, there's a big problem there. The farms are really struggling to make sure that their animals stay healthy. And these organized criminals rock up and say, if you don't give us money, we will land drones. The larger industrialized farms bought GPS blockers to prevent these drones flying into the farms to drop this material. (laughs) The GPS blockers were so strong, they interrupted commercial aviation flying over the farms. And so the Chinese state intervened, and that's how it got into the newspaper. But I thought it was really interesting how the gangs had the technology to fly these drones sort of semi-autonomously into farms to use them as a threat. And actually, the farms are savvy enough to deploy GPS blocking technology. So I'll link the article. There's a little bit more detail in that, but I thought that was fascinating. When we talked about it, we kind of talked about all state actors and and those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. But actually, this is available now to, you know, everybody, effectively. So there you go. That's my follow-up done. Enough of the uh, Ben talking section. We should uh, move to a Rafe talking section now, (laughs) Rafe Lanford. Do some talking. Uh, I don't know how much of this made it into last week's show, but certainly after the show finished, we got to talking about Amazon Echo accessories and it turns out actually that there's quite an ecosystem and a growing one and you've got at least one or two and I really wanted to hear about it. So you've got the Amazon wall clock, which is just a baffling product to me. I look at the Echo and I sort of think, oh yeah, okay, voice assistant, get it. And then I look at the clock and I think, how did somebody in Amazon think, oh yes, this is the natural conclusion. This is a wall clock. This is where we should go. Yeah, well, it's interesting because there are hundreds of thousands of Alexa compatible gadgets out there now, many of which we've seen and talked about, but Amazon still has a relatively restricted range in that it has a number of speakers with and without screens in different sizes and formats. And then you get Alexa in there, Fire TV sticks, you're starting to get into various other things as well. But a while back, they announced, and it's been available in the US for a while, the wall clock. And it's basically a way of dealing with kind of alarms and timers better on Echo. I ordered one as much out of curiosity as anything else, and I kind of needed a new kitchen wall clock, so I thought, oh, why not get this one? Um, It's about £35 in the UK, which is at the pricey end of a a wall clock, and it comes in the kind of the usual attractive Amazon packaging. You get it out and think, "Hmm, this is a little bit more plasticky than I was expecting, but honestly, it'll depend on the decor of your kitchen or wherever you're going to put it. For me, it's kind of um, white plastic rim, then kind of black face. So actually, it fits in fine and actually looks pretty much okay. All it is, is an analog clock with then a bunch of light up LED kind of strips around the outside, 60 of them. And then when you set a timer using you know who, it will kind of light up and start counting down. Your Amazon Echo. Yes. It's a, a way to see at a glance how much time is left on your timer. Now, I actually find this pretty helpful because my show is sitting a little bit apart from the kitchen and trying to see how much time is left. And I have, on a number of occasions, asked how much time is left on the timer to get an audio response. We're always doing that. Yeah, because if, especially when we're cooking, we normally have two or three timers going for the various things you're cooking. And as soon as you've got several going, well, you can't see them, can you? Because even the, exactly. the most imminent one is relegated to a small kind of window up on the top right of the screen. Exactly. And so because I've been issuing that voice, I thought "Hmm, maybe this clock will be a good solution. And having done some cooking and baking, treacle tarts and sausage rolls, if anyone's interested. I am. At the weekend. (laughs) Everyone round to Rafe's house when the lockdown's over. Um, It was just really useful because you could look up at the clock and you could see, and it is able to support multiple timers, which is great. You can see how much time is left. And obviously that's based on basically lighting up sections of the clock. And then when it gets to 60 seconds to go, it will count down around the clock and it will then flash at you and the audible will go off as standard. So having been a bit sceptical, it's a single function accessory. If you don't use timers, you won't be interested. But if you do, I can actually recommend this because for £35, it's a way to kind of solve that first world problem of having to ask your assistant how much time is left on the timer. I mean, that just gets a bit annoying. And it's sort of also answering that, oh, can I go and spend three minutes doing this particular chore or whatever? And also you can intercept the timer and sometimes I will stop the timer before it gets to zero because it's like, I do it. So yeah, it was thumbs up for me. And they've obviously thought quite carefully about the implementation. So this is one accessory that I have started using and I think I will continue to use. Yes, because as you were saying that, I looked at the Alexa app and I would say 80% because of how most used echoes are in the kitchen and 
80% is us setting timers because I brew fresh coffee, we're cooking stuff in the oven, we don't use any timers anywhere else. So I'm really, I'm really intrigued. But Ewan, like you and I mm. have got the RoboRock vacuum yeah. cleaners. And one of the few things I'm disappointed about with that, and I mean, we really are scraping the barrel now because they are excellent products, mm. buy them, you know, hashtag vacuum influencer, <laughs> was they do have a skill to install on your Echo, but it's really crude. You can just basically start the cleaner, stop the cleaner and ask where it is. Yeah. And I can't quite understand how Amazon are making these special purpose devices like a, like a clock with the timers built in when other products that are already partly smart that would benefit hugely from having a voice interface to say, clean this room, start that room. Do the kitchen again. How full are you? Do you need emptying? Yeah, well, how much charge have you got? Yeah. Well, actually, they're being implemented either sort of just as a token gesture or quite poorly. It does frustrate me, actually, just before we started recording, the um, Hoovy, as he's called, was just finishing the office here. And, you know, I worked in the kitchen and I thought, you know what, you should do the kitchen again. You have to pull out my phone and the cognitive load for having to pull out your phone and then bring up the app, bring up the special bit, bring the thing and say, right, okay, after that, do this. It would be convenient to just speak. So I think it's, that will be the next step. I mean, we are, as you say, scraping the barrel here. They're excellent products. But I think it would be absolutely fantastic if we could be doing that level of, of, of integration. Because all of a sudden you can start to say, do this. You know, it would be amazing. I do think it brings up an important point, though, kind of that ease of use when you start getting past the common scenarios is important. And the wall clock's interesting because it basically does one thing mm-hmm. and one thing well. And I kind of wished it would tell me there was a notification on my Alexa, but I, I suspect that's relatively uncommon for people to use right now. But why not use the central LED? But just taking the timer issue, it works well. And I think the thing is about Amazon, they don't do anything by accident. And It's well known that if you've got smart home stuff, you start using Alexa more and it's kind of the network effect written into kind of smart assistants and smart home. The more things you have, typically more you start Mm. using, the more they become integrated into your life. And we've all become kind of like, yes, we like our robot vacuum cleaners because they're convenient. And now probably we go, yes, recommend them, we'd get another one. You would have been through that a couple of times. I think it's also notable Amazon from its e-commerce data knows exactly what people are buying and selling and what might work. And so I think some of their other adventures in this space, like the microwave and the smart oven, they've been able to make smart decisions around, you know, most people buy a 750 watt microwave. So that's what they put into an Alexa one. The reviews on that have been less stellar. It's only available in the States right now, so I can't really comment on it personally. But I think what Amazon are looking to do here is increase the use of Alexa in general by filling the gaps that some of the third parties aren't doing or that they've identified they can compete competitively on price or experience. And I'm sure their strategy is to have a broad and wide ecosystem of accessories that are Alexa compatible. And they would like third parties to do that. But as we've alluded to, they don't have control over the experience. And you know, I would question whether people who are maybe less into voice or their tech would bother with the voice control on the vacuum cleaners and things where it's not great. But here, this timer is absolutely something I would buy for a friend or family member who maybe wasn't so tech literate because the setup was super easy. All I had to do was ask to set up the echo wall clock and within five seconds it was done. The clock itself then updates through things like daylight saving time and everything else. And then using it, you don't actually do anything. If you set a timer, it then appears. There's no interaction with it, no additional commands. And I just think as an ancillary product, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I'd compare it with another accessory I did buy for Alexa, which was the smart buttons, which were advertised as a way of playing games. Basically got them out of the box and played once or twice and then stopped using them. Thought I might use them for smart routines but didn't because they're a bit clanky. They're ugly, aren't they? Yeah, I got them they as are. well. Yeah, same as well. Ours is just sat in the kitchen counter behind a, a Sonos device. In <laughs> and so it can be hit and miss. And I'm not saying that that was a miss because I think for some people that might make more sense. You know, playing simple games, I think maybe aimed at children a bit more. But I certainly wasn't going to use it as kind of a smart routine button because it just wasn't very attractive and just it wasn't able to embed itself into the behavior. But this clock is interesting because it's not requiring me to do anything else. It's improving the experience of a smart assistant-led timer and it's definitely better than having to wind up various wind-up timers or set it on the phone or anything else like that because it's sort of within my visual reference when I'm looking around the kitchen. Now I'm talking to stuff 
and not feeling self-conscious about it. And I know, you know, different people, if you don't have a smart assistant, that might still sound weird, mm, but mm. you know, I'm now turning the lights on and off in or lamps on and off in various rooms. And, you know, we're getting the weather forecast, we're playing music, we're doing quite a lot. I'm even um, saying, you know, tell me if my trains are running on time back when I used to commute. And it's just become pretty normal now to talk to this device and, and it's baked into our day. That original novelty of it has gone now. But I also now find myself, I walked into, so we've got a, one of those Samsung TVs that you've got, you and yes. that frame TV, mm-hmm. and we've got it in the playroom and it's really smart and it's great. And I walked in the other day and, you know, enough cartoons had been watched. It was mm. time for cartoons to go off. And so literally without thinking about it, I said, Alexa, turn off the TV. She can't. Now, yes, it's a smart TV. It shows up in smart things mm-hmm. and various other things, but we haven't quite got to that point yet. But there's been a few times where I've inadvertently tried to talk to devices. That don't have it. And realised I can't yet. Yeah. And that was strange for me because... I can well imagine actually quite liking having a clock in the kitchen that does daylight saving time that's always up to date that shows that kind of stuff. But actually, the more high-priced, high-value items to me feel like the ones I'd want integrated. You know, if my Samsung TV had an Alexa skill that let me turn it off, on, off, change the channel, I know they're trying to push their own Bixby assistant and this kind of mm. stuff. But almost in that one, I'm sort of surprised. Back like the old Nokia days where Nokia you sort of used to pay to have people build apps for their ecosystem to try and sort of, mm-hmm. you know, get them going. I'm sort of surprised uh, Amazon don't do that. So Rafe, thumbs up for the clock, thumbs down for the microwave or the oven, at least in terms of the reviews in the States, thumbs down for the buttons. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, I wait to see what Amazon come up with next because I've gone through buying the various speakers and the accessories and, you know, maybe a bit of a geek for this stuff, but Two of the things that have made my life much better. So yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, and I have to say, I got the buttons, didn't use them. If you want buttons that you want to have around the house, the smart things ones or things like that are much more palatable and small. And actually, I don't know about you guys, but I, I haven't yet got to the point where any of my smart home stuff is really managed through the Echo because it's not complex enough. No. So all it does is control my smart things devices which uh, we've talked about ad nauseum in other episodes, but uh, there's definitely some way to go for Amazon to improve those. Interesting. Clock reports coming up in future episodes. I'm tempted. 35 quid, I think. We have so many blinking devices with clocks in our kitchen that I'm not sure adding one Mm. more is going to improve the kitchen. If I could buy all our ovens and microwave again and say, no clocks, thank you, that would be a different kettle of fish. Agreed. Okay, we should move on. Changing gear, crashing sideways into a more grown-up important topic, COVID-19 apps. So hashtag disclosure, we record this early May. We have several weeks of episodes stored up, ready to go out. So it's like a soap opera. <laughs> exactly, because of logistical reasons. So talking about stuff that is news is incredibly unwise at the moment, because of course, everything will have changed by the time this goes out. But nevertheless, it's something that we're sort of pressing on our minds so much, we wanted to talk about it. So Let's just try and draw out some big themes that either won't be out of date or let's just capture the mood as we are early May. And perhaps when people listen to this, they can judge whether or not, uh, you know, we got it right and whether or not we were talking about the stuff that mattered. But early doors, Rafe, let's just do quick factual download. From a UK perspective, the stuff that's in the news for us right now is mainly controversy about the disparity between the way that the UK's chosen to do contact tracing apps and the way that. Apple and Google have teamed up to support contact tracing, haven't they? That's absolutely right. And it's a really, really hot topic because this is the way that um, people think that contact tracing is going to be effective, which is seen as a way of moving out of lockdown and kind of managing the subsequent peaks of uh, COVID-19. At a broad level, there's been kind of two approaches, which is centralised and decentralised. That's really about where the data sits and where some of the privacy and security implications come from that. The decentralized method, which is sort of being pushed or rather being acted on by Google and Apple, and that's interesting in itself, has all the data stored locally on the device. And then once you have a positive match, things happen. The more centralized version is essentially sending data up into the cloud and then allowing some of the processing and notification alerting to happen there. As with any decentralized, centralized systems, there's concerns around data security and privacy. And that's driving a lot of the debate. And I think In the UK, at least, there's some concern about why has the UK gone down a different path, not least because it was perceived, and whether this is true or not, it's kind of a matter for the debate, 
to taking different policy steps early on in the crisis? And is this another one of those? I don't think we want to comment on that. But actually, I think there's some really interesting topics to think about. I mean, this is the first time I can think of smartphones being used on a scale. International, and yeah. In a kind of almost compact between government and the public to kind of hand over data. Personal data. And so all the opinion polling indicates people seem to be quite willing to do that. Mm. There are nuances on it around whether location is included or not. And Apple and, and Google have not done that. So we'll come back to that in a moment. But for me, there's an interesting thing here that in order to be effective, the estimates suggest that you need 80% of the population downloading it. You know, I just feel that that's going to be quite ambitious because we're talking about getting nearly everyone to download and install an app across an entire population. Let's put it on Facebook. Well, you know, all the discussions around centralised versus decentralised, we're going to see. I mean, it's like a, I think Benedict Evans has used the word forced experiment that we have been obliged to try this out. But leaving aside the rights and wrongs of it, it's an interesting step forward in the kind of public relationship with government or indeed with a you know, third party or commercial entity about what you're willing to trade off. And I think at the moment, most people would go, I'm probably willing to give up this kind of data, which in most of these models, is not about tracking where you've been, it's tracking about who you've been in contact with and then potentially notifying you if you've been in contact for more than 15 minutes with someone who has subsequently reported COVID-19 symptoms. I mean, from a personal point of view, I'm perfectly happy giving up that data if it makes it possible to get that kind of information and reassurance. But it's a prisoner's dilemma thing, because if people don't do it or some people choose not to, the system is going to fall down. What's the situation in Oman, Ewan? Because we're a bit UK-centric mm. on this. And I mean, Rafe's right. I think the UK and France have gone for centralised models. But what about where you are? I don't have any news on, on specific apps, but I think what I see in the Middle East is they're following international best practice yeah so i would imagine that will be some kind of app will be on the agenda just because you you need some degree of comfort right that that when you open up you're going to be able to control as much as possible the spread of the disease That, that that's the blunt reality because all of us want to be sensitive i would hope to those that are particularly vulnerable so while we are all hoping at some point, I would imagine, yeah, to get on with the life and open up again and however we can do so. We need to have that some degree of certainty that, that we're doing everything, the best possible things we can do, given the circumstances. I, I've been reading widely about what other countries are doing. I, I think some degree of some kind of control or, or at least awareness is really important. I find it quite interesting reading some of the news in the UK about people yeah, actually really quite enjoying the lockdown. Now, those, those are individuals that either aren't under a lot of financial pressure, I'm sure, or um, really, really quite liked being on their own. And hey, it's, it's been nice to, to spend a bit of time with the family and so on and so on. But yeah, life needs to continue. I wanted to ask some questions and see, you know, kind of in five weeks time, we'll find out if we're right. Mm, okay, go on. Yeah, so things yeah. I'm curious about, and actually in your giant house, this won't be a problem, but Let's step away from centralised or decentralised for a moment. You say giant. How you, what, what about Blanford? This is a small cottage on his estate compared to... Absolutely. It works by Bluetooth proximity. It works by saying your phone saw these other Bluetooth devices for long enough, you know, yes. some period of time, and you were in proximity. But Rafe, you're in an apartment in central London. I imagine that your phone can see your upstairs neighbour, your downstairs neighbour, and probably your side-to-side neighbours nearly all the time, depending on where you are in your apartment. And yet you could be totally isolating. You could not step outside your front door at all. And so if one of those people does high-risk stuff, either you know, recklessly or by the nature of their job, I'm curious as to how you know, kind of they're going to deal with that kind of proximity and whether or not that's going to make the data so muddy as to dilute that 80% that you talked about needing to have it on their phones. Yeah, and I think that's a kind of, it's not known yet, and this is why kind of pilots and experiments are being run. I mean, the answer that's given is that you'll be able to work out attenuation of signal and things like that, which in some cases you're going to be able to do. But there is going to be a little bit of uh, unknown to how the algorithms are working, and particularly with the Google and the Apple APIs, they're deliberately quite restrictive. And we know from the APIs that actually that's going to be a problem to get absolutely right. And I think the same can apply with you know proximity in a tube carriage you know 
you'll probably pick up everyone in the carriage, but is there a difference between one end and the other, for example? And so there are so many different scenarios. So ultimately, I think it will probably be about slightly better risk management and then potentially advising you to be on the watch out or, or whatever. But nothing has really been run at this scale before. So we just don't know. Is it one of those things, we all download it and then nothing happens? You never get a notification or you get some blind rubbish notification? It could be. Yeah. I'm curious, actually, in the UK particularly, I think not enough people will download it. There will be a huge amount of pressure because all of that time and energy has been expended without reward. And then in the UK, I can well imagine that the app will switch to using both models because all iOS devices will have been updated with the Apple built-in tracking available on their devices and Google will update Google Play services so that most modern Android handsets get it. And so you'll have this weird thing of the model of tracking that they'd like to have, they can't because not enough people download the app. But if they took advantage of the wider distribution by the sort of the on by yeah. default model that the vendors are providing, but tolerated the lower fidelity data as they claim. And then in the end, why choose? Why not do both? Because if it's an experiment, as you were alluding to, Rafe, then shake both trees. Mm. I agree. I think that's what will happen right now. They're trying to work out the best solution and the timelines. I mean, I still think the biggest challenge is getting this distributed into enough of the population because I think there are plenty of people out there with smartphones who never installed an app and it could be tricky. Sort of a tech support written across a population of 65 million people. And that's going to apply in every country. It would be fascinating to kind of see levels of uptake. And actually, we'll probably have a pretty good idea of that because Apple and Google will be able to track the number of downloads and the number of unique devices. All of that is relatively readily available. It'll be interesting to see. There's also permissions that you'll have to give and what people are willing to give up. Mm. I think there's another interesting element to this, which is the kind of the policy dimension in that clearly the UK government is saying we want to have more control on this because we want to be able to study the data and have the epidemiologists look at it to kind of understand more about what's happening. Apple and Google, by setting the policy that they have, are in fact kind of themselves setting policy. Mm. And whether you consider that as a good or a bad thing is like probably a much longer debate. But Apple, for example, by saying, you know, not locking out, but location data not being part of that, the kind of the way that they're going to notify and they expect there to be, you know, an official test result. And this information is still coming out now. Mm. So I'm talking about in the future is interesting, but big tech acting as kind of policy and actors has got to be a little bit of a concern for me in the same way that they've talked about and whatever side of the fence you fall on on this thing, not being able to do backdoors securely and things like that. So the policy implication of this is actually something we may come back to in a future episode. So it's kind of a, a watch this space because for me, there's a degree of skepticism about how it works. I really hope it does because if anything is going to help lift lockdown, better contract tracing is it. Hmm. Ewan, we're out of time on this, but I wanted one final thought from you. It has been surprising to me looking through the UK and US lens that Google and Apple have banded together and are now being seen by by some, by not not by all, but by some, as having a more conservative position than <laughs> national governments who want this centralised information collection. So what does this do to the dynamic in terms of who we entrust our data to and when if all of a sudden Google's the good guy rather than last week when they were this vampiric, you know, data-sucking advertising machine that was trying to you know, sort of exploit every bit of information they could get about me. Isn't that a very smart move on both companies? Because I think it is both them aiming to do good and wanting to be seen to do good. I'm busy thinking, well, who do I trust more? Do I trust a government to do the right thing? Or do I trust Apple or Google to do the right thing? And you know what's interesting is I actually, when I'm testing myself, I think I trust my Apple relationship more. Google too, but you know, but Apple, I, I don't I seem to trust them more than a government. I, now I don't know if that's true. I don't know. That's how I'm feeling at the minute. I need to really think about this. Isn't it a fascinating situation? It's interesting that that emotive sense, that sort of your gut reaction there will probably determine which app you do use or don't use or download. And um at a whole population scale, that kind of reaction could have a vast impact on what works and what doesn't. And just on this point then, what about the, the two of you then? How would you react? How would you answer that? Is it government, Google or Apple? 
It's government for me. Really interesting. Okay. I'm going to live in the middle. You know, disclaimer, I'm not working on any of this stuff, but I work with people who do know them well and move in these circles and probably unbiased towards trusting these institutions. But in the UK, there's a big difference between the civil service and the NHS and those people who are operating the services versus the politicians. Absolutely. So I think a lot of the confidence that has been lost in data handling was lost during the election and during the Brexit vote when it was political parties and political campaigns handling data. Yes. And the allegation is they did things that were wrong. And I think it's a mistake to conflate their misdeeds with the civil service, you know, doing the wrong thing because politicians can't direct them to do things that are illegal and there's lots of checks and balances. Slightly unfairly, I would hypothesize that because that separation is weaker or non-existent in the States, that the risk is higher there. And that's perhaps why Google and Apple have taken a more uh, opinionated stance, Mm. because that separation of the executive from the delivery body, the idea of an independent civil service, only exists in certain countries. And that's why I think some of the conversation has been a bit lacking nuance. But you know, today, here and now, if the NHS produce an app, I shall be downloading it and participating and hoping it's enough. It's a really good distinction, by the way. Government versus politicians versus, yeah. Well, and depending on where you live, there might be no distinction, you know, because yeah. uh, certainly, you know, in the US and certain parts of the Middle East, but I won't make you say any more, the politicians get to decide how services are delivered, but not so much in the UK and some other democracies. Okay, we should move on. Another uh, gear-crunching uh, <laughs> handbrake turn. <laughs> you and McLeod. Okay, so we've just moved from we're all going to die a global pandemic to what are we going to talk about, final section of the show? Okay, right. I think it's time, gentlemen. We did TikTok. <laughs> we have mentioned TikTok once or twice, haven't we? I'm sure we have. For the discerning audience member who doesn't know what TikTok is, just give us 30 seconds. Uh, okay, right. It's a social networking service based around video viewing and video sharing. So Instagram, but um, video and used by um, lots of young people. I think that's a fair comment. Uh, it's based on you know the consuming of video content. Uh, it's a very, very interesting interface, a, a lot similar to Snapchat in terms of how they make it work. You're flicking through videos really, really quickly. What's the matter? Rafe Blanford has the face of a teenager who... I mean- have you even used TikTok, Ewan? Because yeah. I think your description isn't really doing it justice here. Okay, sorry, you do it then. It's the fastest growing social network and it's a consumption based on short video form and influencers. Wait, 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 wait. Don't, hold on a minute. You're reading it. No, I'm not. That's terrible. Yes, you are. I can see you reading it. I can see your eyes moving. <laughs> no, this is just coming out. I mean, I use TikTok. Yeah. Like, who doesn't? Uh, what was wrong with my description? Ben, are you a big TikTok user? My only awareness of TikTok, I mean, like, I, I view TikTok through the same lens as Snapchat, which oh, don't is... Don't be old. Don't like, be old. He's folding his arms. I didn't bother with it. And then because... Come on. I think the reason that we are so happy on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram is that we grew up with it and we started using it when it was simple. And as it got more and more complicated, we lived through it. So it became part of our lives. And I keep arriving onto these newer social networks like Snapchat and TikTok, where they're already established. There's already things that people do there's already etiquette there's rules there's you know uh, there's popular things I, like, I haven't got the energy to learn all of this what stuff. you're doing you're the 2020 equivalent of i don't know how to program the video player that's what you are right now and i'm horrified um, yes you are oh the, the, it's, it's got etiquette i don't really know what to do come on right no 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 I, the thing is I, all right this is why we're talking about it right i'll take some criticism but i think that analogy is wrong because in that analogy, and, and where, where we've got frustrated is people wanting to use technology without investing the time to learn how to use it themselves, yeah. whereas I've just opted wholly out. It's the same thing. I'm saying no video recorder in my house. All right, all right, all right. All right. Clearly, this is 361 challenge time, because I'm guessing you and his consumer only haven't been creating content. No, I've never created content, no. I haven't been either. The thing that's just amazing to me about TikTok is the numbers with you know, yeah, go on, give us some numbers. Influencers with 50 million plus followers, a huge amount of media being consumed through it. And actually, probably towards a much younger audience than some of the other social services we've seen, there's a bit of concern around China and everything else. So I think as a 361 challenge, we need to explore TikTok a little bit more for our discerning audience. And that includes creating some content and seeing 
what we make of it, understanding what content we're served. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is that not a good challenge for the listeners? What? Well, have you seen TikTok? No, I, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, look, just before we get to that, okay? And by the way, I am not doing that steppy dance thing. Right? I, I am not coordinated enough. Hang on a minute. I'm not even aware of what Steppy Dance thing is. I thought this was a video sharing. Yes, well, you don't yet because... Oh I'm sorry, listeners. Go and buy a video player <laughs> and don't get a Betamax one. Yeah, and I just point out that video players are a bit passe. We use this stuff called over-the-top streaming. It's like Netflix and Prime. It's amazing. So if you want to upgrade your video, there's another tip for you, No, I'm just, just saying... He- so before you berate me for not engaging with it... Before. Explain to me why it's good because you've described to me what it is but you haven't described to me why it's good. No, no, no. I'm reserving that. Let me just, can, can I just give you some stats, right? Because I thought Blanford was going to... Well, I, I'm going to, you can, but I'm, I'm going to ask the question again. It's not why do you think it's good necessarily, but why do other people, like 50 million, Rafe's throwing big numbers around, go on you and you can tell us, reel off the numbers in a second. But I thought Blanford was going to do this because he clearly has got the Digitas social media briefing on TikTok that he's reading out, right? Don't pretend here, Blanford, right? This is on uh, influencermarketinghub.com fourth most popular free iPhone app downloaded in 2019. Second most popular free app downloaded in 2019 as well, it says. 738 million downloads across iOS and Android last year. It's available or used in 154 countries. It's got the highest social media engagement rates per post compared to Instagram and Twitter. 400 million active daily users in China. Then 800 million monthly active users worldwide. So I have follow-up questions. Before we reel off too many numbers, follow-up questions. So basically, it's one of the biggest apps on the planet, okay? Social media apps. So from all that you both have said, it's viewing video clips, video sharing. Yes, it's thoroughly dominated by video. There's no text. In the, I mean, you can edit video quite easily. You can create the video very easily. But Rafe, how do people engage? Like, I, the I, same I, way. Come on, Grandpa. For goodness sake. Like comment talk about engagement it just baffles me because i it's don't twitter with video goodness me is it i mean like is it am i or do i have to just smush a, you know I, I like this so i think the summary to why is it big and interesting is really it's the first video first social platform to go really big scale and you there's comparisons being made to things like vine which was attached to twitter and various others but it follows the same kind of content stream model of Instagram and Facebook. Basically, you scroll down and you see more and more content in kind of a never-ending scrollable list. But it has the algorithms of Instagram in terms of it surfaces things that it thinks you'll be interested in. It has the same following concept and everything else. So I think the reason it's resonated so strongly is because it was sort of a combination of that people liking to see what other people are Mm. doing. And it's kind of that influencer and the lifestyle mems but also music brought into it because early on a lot of it was kind of lip syncing and there's still a big part of that but there are just in the same way that twitter and instagram has its communities within it there are lots of communities around specific tags or verticals or or whatever within it that you form everywhere wait 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 are you are you reading this no i think the thing that's interesting for tiktok is it is appealing to that younger audience because it's video first and there is a you know, creator thing that sort of very much, it's the evolution of the influencer that went from kind of Twitter where we had big followers, then you went images. So it's more multimedia, it's more immersive in your face and it's still short form. And I think that's the reason it's sort of, it's taken off. And yes, there's a well-designed product, much like um, Snapchat, there is a bit of a learning curve, but it's that casual consumption of content on the go which has been enabled by the fact that people have a smartphone, they have high quality video cameras now, capturing decent audio and like sufficient bandwidth and speeds that there isn't a cost factor that anyone has to think about because it's on 4G and everything else. So it's of the moment and every single social platform that's been big has sort of something else has come along and evolved on top of it. Some of them have survived, but you know, Twitter, some people will talk about plateauing or stagnating similar with Facebook. It's the same happening to Instagram, Snapchat and TikTok seems to have this almost viral growth Mm. right now and has done. And I'm surprised we haven't talked about it up until this point, because as Ewan said, it's like one of the most downloaded apps. I'm sure we have mentioned it once or twice. And has become like, it's a golden audience in some ways, because it's a bit that's really difficult to reach through other forms. You know, that young kind of digital savvy, mobile first, app first generation 
And so that's why it's attracting commercial interest. Oh, where well, the 361 audience is going to fit in right well. <laughs> so yeah, maybe maybe not a massive overlap on the Venn diagram with 361 listeners, yeah. but we like to be cool and happening and hip. So there we go. That's why we need to have a TikTok challenge. Two quick thoughts then, because we're running out of time on this one as well. First up, the reason I think I quite like Instagram and I think other people did as well was that take a picture, put on a filter, you know, like it's relatively easy to make things in your life look glamorous and appealing with a filter and a few photos to, you know, sort of crop out the rubbish or the mess <laughs> or, you know, the whatever. And video is really hard to do well because the only TikTok content I've experienced has been sort of shared on Twitter, you know, sort of from TikTok. And it always looks very glossy and it, every, whenever I've seen it, it's, it's always looked more like it was being done by celebs or professional production people. Really? Oh, no, well, yeah, yeah. The ones I saw were like the guy who does those incredible kind of visual magic tricks where, you know, he jumps out of the picture or through a window or something and looks very heavily produced and very clever or it looks like sort of lifestyle stuff. What platform are you talking about there? So I was talking about I've seen some TikTok content shared on Twitter. So obviously there's, there's a filter, but... Okay, fine. Final one then. You both mentioned China. I'm aware that that TikTok is the Western brand of a Chinese entity. Yes, it's ByteDance as a company, yeah. And it's dangerously easy to become cliched and almost, you know, verging on dismissive and maybe sort of racist even, you know, worst case in terms of dismissing other people's priorities and, and preferences for other markets. But Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> MySpace, Instagram, whatever, mm. they have many, many sins and many, many failings, but they are governed by predominantly the laws of the countries that we live in. You know, effectively, Facebook and Twitter have to go and show up in the US, you know, in front of US politicians and answer hard questions about how they run their business, even if they don't come to the UK or mm. Ireland or wherever. They do they are answerable to politicians there. How do we feel about giving all of that data and social graph to a country that operates mm. under Chinese rules, which could be bad or could be good, but I literally don't know what they are. Well, I can tell you, if 400 million users or, or I don't know, hundreds of millions of users are Chinese, but let's assume that, I don't know, uh, uh, 400 million, for argument's sake, are not Chinese. Uh, yeah, 100 million are, are Americans and Brits and French and whatever. They don't seem to care. No, I, I, I know you, you can say, oh, well, let's talk about it. But the, the, the point is, it's blown up to be one of the biggest, biggest brands on the planet. One of the, the top social activities. So you're saying it doesn't matter because whatever problems exist already exist. I don't know if it matters for those users, yeah. right? It's already massive. Hmm. Now, there are some concerns, and I've, I've been reading a lot about it. You know, the alleged fingerprinting of the device you know, when you're using the app. What I can say is it is remarkable the way that the experience changes depending on what you tap on and, and what you look at. And yeah, I, I think, I, I, I'm totally speculating here, but I imagine you know, the amount of time that you're pausing on a particular video will be registered and then added into an algorithm. Then whether you're swiping or tapping, or I find it very, very interesting how it works. So do if you haven't downloaded it, try it. I didn't get an account. Um, but I, oh no, I made an account last week. I, yeah, because I thought we need to do this, some kind of investigation into it. Okay, well, yes, I'm, but the more you talk, the, the less I want an account. Maybe I'll browse it on the web. I, oh, wait, 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 on the web? Well, does it have a web interface? Oh my gosh, what just happened? What just happened there? Listen to what just happened was you spent three minutes telling me that my fingerprint and every eyelid movement was going to be tracked, and I then explained how I was going to avoid that. No, 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 fingerprinting. <laughs> Fingerprinting. Fingerprinting, yes. Yeah, I think the AI, you are, sorry, the, well, the UI as well, but the, the AI, the machine learning behind it appears to be really, really smart. Look, we should move on. There isn't a website. <laughs> Dear listeners, I will have a little chat with my colleagues off air so you aren't subjected to this. And by the time you next hear from us, we will have agreed some parameters for a 361 TikTok challenge. Gosh, Rafe is writing checks. I'm not sure he can cash. Indeed. Okay, we should move on. <laughs> Top Gun quote. Top Gun quote. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to give us any feedback on the topics we've talked about, if you want to ask us to cover anything, a few of you have written in. Thank you very much. I am slowly working my way through the inbox, writing back to you all, and we're adding those things in towards the end of the season. Always welcome your feedback and comments. Thank you very much. 
If you want to get a hold of us, you can get us on Twitter at 361podcast. You can find us on the web, uh, 361podcast.com, where you can write us a private message or you can leave a comment under any one of the shows. Or based on what Rafe is saying, you'll probably be able to find us on TikTok imminently as well, where you can send us, I don't know, a viral fingerprinted video or something. Yeah, we need to be there. Exactly. During lockdown, we're producing these nearly weekly, but uh, logistics are, uh, how can I put it, flexible. So we will probably be back next week. And if not, very, very soon. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you and your families are well and safe. Stay in, do as you're told. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we'll all get through this together, probably. All right, I'm off to go and run around the block another time. And uh, we'll see you next week, probably. Goodbye, bye. Did you just say goodbye, bye? goodbye both i was expecting you to say (laughs) goodbye all right all right okay bye no because we never do that you always do the sign off well sometimes i try and get uh, lots of love in there well let's get you into the sign off then goodbye both goodbye bye bye all right but seriously ben you actually did say i'll need to check out the website yeah i mean oh my gosh you said that on a mobile podcast. <laughs> Hang on a second. Right. I, for one of the world's number one largest mobile apps on the planet. I wanted to check out its website. But you had just told me that it was going to fingerprint my device and be very intrusive. So I was like, hey, download this really intrusive thing that's going to steal your data. No, I said alleged fingerprinting. Oh, excellent. Well, it's just allegedly <laughs> take my data then. I'm going to send a link to Ben so he can go and discover the drives of TikTok in the web browser on his desktop PC. Or maybe he's going to do it on his smart TV or maybe his Mintel platform. Sorry, do they actually have a website? They do for like uh, trending and discover. I don't think they've got the full experience. Ah, right, yes. Although you can log in, so maybe it does let you go through to the, the full thing. Right. I know you think I'm a complete tech cretin, but I think I probably could have worked out it was TikTok.com. Like, I didn't need you to send me that URL. Well, you know, I, I like to be helpful, Ben. <laughs> right, look, can we just do a, a rubbish Ben joke? Go on. No such thing. They're all good. I'm just, I'm not sure I've got any. Um... Come on. Did I tell you that my wife was getting very cross when I messed with her red wine? So I put fruit and lemonade in it. Yeah, just... it's uh, sangria. Yeah. We got that. That was last week. Was that last week? Uh-huh. Yeah. That was last week. Gosh, we really are. Uh, and, okay, and just before we go, can we have a look at the uh, the Blandford tapestry, please? Um, there hasn't been much progress, but oh. you did hear about the Where's Wally books, didn't you? Nope. Well, they've got to discontinue them because it's a lot easier to find now with social distancing. <laughs> <laughs>